We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Well, good morning. I'm going to pray once more as we come to God's word um, and then uh, we will um, yeah, explore that passage. Mm. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit among us. We thank you that um, in your word is truth. We might wrestle with what is true, what is real in the world today, but we can be confident in the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word. And so we pray that you would open our eyes, indeed open our ears uh, to, to hear, to see, um, to receive your word this morning. Yeah, Father, I pray this morning that this wouldn't just be a lecture, this wouldn't just be a talk. We pray that the power of your Spirit would be upon what we do now. Not my effort, not my work, Lord, but the power of your Spirit would be manifest in what we do now as we open your Word and seek your truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so I want to ask you this morning, how do you wake up in the morning? Um, do, you, do you have an alarm? Do you have, like, you know, is, is a sound like, uh, if you give me a moment, uh, one of these sounds here, is this kind of something that is familiar to you? Maybe that's a bit gentle. We might need... Something like that. Is any of these kind of causing post-traumatic stress for anyone? That one. That one's good, isn't it? That one's good. Um, do you wake up with an alarm like that? Do you wake up gently with the sun just uh, bathing your face through the window and you wake up uh, opening up to the, to, to the day with joy? Uh, do you wake up shaken awake? By our kids have headed headed out, but like like your parents shaking you awake, it's time to get up for school. Does that feel like uh, what it is this morning? Maybe your your spouse, your partner, for those that are married, maybe it's them saying, "Wake up! The kids are up. You've got to get up." Um, do you wake up gracefully or crusty and grumpy until you've had a coffee? Uh, do you wake up early to you know beat the sunrise to to see the dawn, or do you wake up late and rushing to try and catch up with the day? How do you wake up? What's it take to wake you up? Because this morning, this is Dear Church Part 5. This is, this is seven letters from Jesus to his church. Uh, but this one's more of a wake-up call. This one's more of a, uh, a good morning wake-up call from Jesus. I've only ever seen it in the movies. I've never done it, but um, apparently if you stay in a hotel, like you can get reception to give you a call at a particular time in the morning to make sure you wake up. And so this is Jesus' wake-up call to his church this morning. And so this is written to the church at Sardis. He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. And then here's this wake-up call. But as we've been exploring throughout this whole series, this isn't just for the church in Sardis a little bit less than 2,000 years ago. This is for the whole church. Uh, Jesus keeps saying this line that it finishes with, those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The, these letters 
that, that formed part of Revelation weren't just sent to the individual churches, they were included in this whole letter to all of these churches. All of the churches were meant to hear that, this, including us. And so in Revelation 3.1, it says, uh, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Now that might be a bit confusing for us. We might think seven spirits of God, a, a, a father, son and seven spirits is a little bit, you know, I don't know what that would make. That would make nine. That's a, a, a nonity, not a trinity, but a nonity. What's the, where's some teachers help me out? What's the, what's the word for nine? Nonity? I don't know. But, but, you know, another way of translating this would be more the sevenfold spirits of God. It's literally seven spirits, but it's talking about the Holy Spirit. This number seven is a number of fullness and completion uh, in the Hebrew understanding. And so uh, it's not saying there are seven spirits of God. It's saying the sevenfold, the, the, the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is a, a real uh, reminder of how intimately one Father, Son and Spirit are that, saying that Jesus holds the sevenfold Spirit, that, that it dwells within him and with us. And so it says, to the church inside us, right, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which we uh, know from previously is, is the angels of the churches. He says, I know your deeds. And this is this common line that Jesus says through most of these letters. I know your deeds. I know what you're up to. But usually this is the point where Jesus says something affirming about the church before moving on to something correcting about the church. But here Jesus jumps straight into the correction. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And so Sardis was a city with a reputation. It was built upon a great... um, precipice of rock that came out into this valley from a mountain range and so it had cliffs on almost every side and it was way up there and it seemed impenetrable and so this city existed for for an enormous amount of time this is kind of the oldest city if we think about the seven churches that these letters were written to all in modern day turkey uh, the ancient roman province of asia this is like by far the oldest city of all of those cities It is by far the one with the most kind of recorded history about it. And so it had a reputation of significance, of importance, especially for those who lived inside us. They thought this is is the place to be. They had a long and well-known history, but the reality was that they had overestimated their significance. They also overestimated how impenetrable that city was. It was overthrown several times by people climbing up the cliff and attacking them. And so the church in Sardis is like the city of Sardis. They have a reputation for being alive. They have all the signs of life. If you looked at the church, just as you looked at the city of Sardis, you go, there is a significant city. There is an alive church. They have a reputation. What's, what might our reputation be as a church? What might our reputation be as followers of Jesus, as individuals? Because Jesus is saying to this church, you have a reputation of being alive. And so that, it seems that the church inside us appears to be a healthy and thriving church from the outside and even from the inside. 
See, the thing about reputations is that, that we, we, we tend to begin to believe the reputation about ourselves. Um, a way of putting it that a, a friend of mine, a pastor, I've heard him say a few times, we start to believe our own mail. We start to believe our own headlines in a sense, not that necessarily headlines are written about us, but, but you know, when people are saying, oh, that's a, that's a great church, Sardis, you're, you're thriving, you're alive, they're saying, yeah, we are pretty good, aren't we? We are a pretty good church. It looks fine from the outside, and even on the inside of the church, it looks good, it looks, it looks alive and thriving, but Jesus sees beyond appearance and reputation. <clears throat> to his eyes, the church is dead, which is a pretty abrupt thing to say. But what makes this rebuke so poignant, which I had to look that word up, I read it in a commentary on this passage, it means significant and sad at the same time. It's, it's weighty, but there's a sadness to it. What makes it so poignant of a rebuke from Jesus is there is no mention of pressure upon this church. Like, like the other churches in, in, in Asia Minor that these seven letters were written to, there, there's a, normally a, a, an incident of pressure or persecution that Jesus talked about. And there's no mention of that here inside us. There's no mention of pressure or persecution. There's no mention of, of suffering or, or martyrdom. There's no mention of immorality either. Many of the other letters are dealing with uh, immorality in the church, sexual immorality that has taken hold in the church. There's no mention of that here inside us. There's no mention of heresy or false teaching. Many of the other letters talk about uh, the thing that Jesus is rebuking is that they've, they've grabbed hold of a false teaching or, or a heresy and, and they've started to believe it and live it out and that's leading them to sin. There's no mention of that here for Sardis. They simply appear to be alive. They think they're alive, but the church is dead on the inside. It's poignant, I think, for the church inside us to realize that they're not facing all of this opposition like other churches might, but there's still something dead about it. I think it's poignant for the modern, at least Western church, Though we might think, oh, the world's turning against the church. We might tell ourselves that story. And yes, the church might be seen less favorably in the world today than it was 50 years ago. But we're not seeing anything like persecution elsewhere or in biblical times. It's a poignant thing for us because we might not see the pressure that these churches were seeing in ancient times or indeed other parts of the world see today. We might not be experiencing the suffering or the persecution that, that other churches might be experiencing. We might not have been led astray by any significant false teaching or heresy. We might be, yes, we haven't adopted, apologies to the Mormons, but we haven't adopted the Book of Mormon where we're sticking true to, to God's true word. We've not adopted some other kind of false teaching or some um, you know, crazy prophet that claims to speak for God. We're sticking true to his word and so, yeah, we're alive. It's a poignant, poignant, can't even say the word, significant but sad rebuke from Jesus because I think if I was to say, you know, to place the modern Western church, if I was to place us, anywhere in these letters more so than anywhere else I'd put us here they simply appear to be alive they think 
they are alive, but the church is dead. And so to skip ahead a little bit to verse 2, the evidence is that Jesus says these found their deeds unfinished. Their deeds are unfinished in the eyes of God. And so we don't really know what this means fully. We don't, we don't you know, have an explanation for this from Jesus, but I wonder whether, it's, whether there's their deeds for God are half-baked. I wonder whether it's just lip service. I wonder whether they're just seeking to just do enough to get by to make sure they, they look like they're doing the things of the church. I, I wonder whether it's, they're just going through the motions of being church. We, we don't know what's happening, but there's something where they're, just, they're not living up fully to being the church indeed. It actually reminds me of um, the Anglican Confession. I, I was at a... Um, preaching conference uh, this week in Sydney that was ran by the Uniting Church and so it was interesting to engage with a, a different denomination and um, you know there was another guy there that I was talking to that um, he like me we grew up in Anglican churches and so someone was asking around well where's the place of the prayer book in your life and I can still recite many parts of it um, but, but it often reminds me this kind of thing of the, the, the confession part of the confession when the Anglican Church using the prayer book comes to communion. They say, um, we have done what we ought not to have done. It's a confession of active sin. And, and so I think that like Sardis, like us today, we often think about, yeah, we're alive, we're good, because you know, I'm not visiting the pagan temple, I'm not engaged in sexual immorality, I'm not engaged in any false uh, teaching, I, I've kept myself away from the naughty things, and so, yeah, this, this, I'm alive in my faith, the church is alive. But the other half of that confession is, I've not done what I ought to have done. And so I think this might be where Sardis is. They've lived within the bounds of, you know, appropriate behaviour for faith. And so it looks like they're alive. There's none of these major problems we might think we're seeing in other churches, but Jesus is finding their deeds unfinished. And so the question I want to ask of the church of Sardis is, what's going on here? You know, I'd, I'd want more details. Were they coasting? Were they comfortable? Were they complacent? Were they compromising? So I, I, I'd want to know more about Sardis, but we can't know more. And so real, the real question for us is, are we? Are we coasting? Are we comfortable? Are we complacent? Are we compromising? Are we going through the motions? Are we half-baked? Are we giving lip service? Are we doing just enough? I want to know more about Sardis, but the real question is, are we, or even deeper, the real question is, am I? Am I putting out there a reputation to the world that I'm alive in my faith? But really, I'm dead. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus says to Sardis, and I believe to us, it's time to wake up. It's time for meep, 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 that joyful noise in the morning of birds tweeting. 
or alarms, squawking. He says in verse 2 to 3, this is Jesus' wake-up alarm to the church. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. And so the question is, well, are they asleep or are they dead? Because Jesus has said that the church looks alive, but it's dead. And now he's telling them to wake up. Well, if you remember the story of Lazarus, who fell sick and then died. Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they didn't quite get what he was talking about. So he had to say, he's dead. But we're going to go wake him up. And so the reality is death and sleep are not all that different for Jesus. We might think sleep's, you know, as the disciples said, well, Lazarus has fallen asleep. That's good. He's resting. That'll help him get better. We might think sleep's just a, 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 a little bit of a nap, something light. And death is like this final thing. But for Jesus, you know, for the church especially to be the church, if it's asleep, it might as well be dead. But for Jesus, death isn't this final thing. If the church is asleep or dead, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing to Jesus. Kind of think, well, it's, it's a little bit like being asleep at the wheel, driving a car. You might not be dead yet, but you may be soon. But the remedy for a dead church is to wake up. And so Jesus says to the church, it's time to wake up. He goes on at the end of verse 2 to say, sorry, verse 3, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And so this touches on Sardis' history. This would be a, oh, moment for the church of Sardis this would be a a real wake-up call for them because remember I said that this city seemed impenetrable to those who lived in it they were built out on a cliff and they had this kind of feeling that well no one can conquer us there's no way anyone can climb up those cliffs well there's two significant times in the history of Sardis that it was overthrown by one shall we say crazy nutter climbing up a part of the cliff that they all thought there's no way anyone could climb up there and you know, unlock the gates of our city or whatever at night. And this was, this was kind of the well-known but not talked about secret in Sardis. And, and so for the church in Sardis, those who lived there and knew that story, the, the, the reminder of Jesus' second coming, coming like a thief in the night, would have been a, oh boy, moment for them. This city knows what that feels like for those who were not prepared. And so what this zeroes us in on as well, though, is that the church that's asleep, the church that's dead inside us, what that's really about is that they're no longer living with the expectation of Jesus' return. 
Their focus is on this life, their focus is on the day-to-day, the ongoing, the mundane, the cruising, the comfort here and now. They're not living with an intense expectation of Jesus' imminent return. The words that we translate in the NIV here as wake up, which is an appropriate translation, but if we took them literally, it, it would mean become watchful. Open your eyes, become watchful. Be alert to the imminent, which means any moment, return of Jesus. It reminds us of what Jesus said over and over again to his disciples in the gospel, but I just want to pick out one example in in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 40. This is Jesus talking about the same thing in his earthly ministry. He says, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can, conf- sorry, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Sorry, truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house, <coughs> if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. If the city of Sardis knew what time someone was going to sneak up the cliff, they probably wouldn't have let it happen. They might have just had someone sit there waiting. Boop. Jesus says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Son of Man is, of course, how Jesus primarily speaks of himself. And so Jesus is reminding the church of Sardis of this message. Be awake. Be ready, be alert, be watchful. He says to Sardis, strengthen what remains. He says, repent. Which as we've talked about, this is just a turning back to Jesus. This isn't a, a groveling. This isn't a sacrifice we have to bring. It's simply a returning back to Jesus. He says, hold fast to what you have heard. He says, remember it and hold fast to what you have heard. This is the gospel. This is the message that Jesus came and died for our sins, that we might have salvation through him. This is the message that says that he rose from the dead that we might have the hope of resurrection in him as well. This is the message that says that when we partake of communion together, when we break this bread and when we drink from this cup, we're we're proclaiming his death until he comes again. This is the message of Jesus' return at any moment. And so what Jesus is saying to the church, I think, is it's not something new and shiny that you need to wake yourself up. It's not that, you know, and this isn't, 
I love that we've got lights now and that we've got, you know, a nice backdrop. I think it really adds to um, the feel of the church. But it's not that you need shinier lights. It's not that you need a, a better stage drop. It's not that you need to be a more exciting preacher or louder in worship. It's not, it's not those things that you need to wake up. You don't need a smoke machine uh, to wake you up. It's not something new and shiny the church needs to wake up. Not that those things are bad, that they shouldn't be part of the church, that we should, you know, go back and meet in caves and things like that. That's not what I'm suggesting. But they're not what wakes the church up. What wakes the church up is remembering and holding fast to what we have already heard in the gospel. Remembering doesn't just mean in, in, in the way the Bible uses remember. It doesn't just mean uh, remember the things that said, yep, Jesus died, yep, yep, yeah. It, it's not just a conscious recalling. R- remembering in biblical terms is a putting into actions the implications of that. So in the Old Testament, when God remembers his people, it's not that God just goes, oh yeah, that's right, I've got people, cool. He acts on his remembrance, his love, his care for his people. That's not when God remembers his promises to his people, it's not like, oh yeah, I said that, cool, yeah, I say a lot of things. He acts on his promises when he remembers. And so for us to remember, for us to hold fast, isn't just about recalling the doctrines of the Bible. It's not just about recalling Scripture. It's about living in accordance with it. It's about acting in accordance with what we remember, about holding fast to it, about clinging to something ancient, not shiny and new. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's what wakes a church up. That's what wakes a believer up. And so what what does it mean for us to be awake? What does it mean for me to be awake? What does it mean for you to be awake? What does it mean for Sardis to be awake? What does that look like? Well, to be awake means that our eyes are open. For some of us, it might take time in the morning for that process to happen. For some of us, that might be a shock of boom, awake, and we can't get back to sleep. But for us to be awake spiritually in our faith, it means that our eyes are open. It means that our eyes are open to the world around us to see how God is at work today in the community around us preceding us. If we think about Alpha, it's, it's our eyes open, not just kind of create opportunities for God, but eyes open to see what he's already doing in those around us that we might partner with him in those people coming to know the good news of Jesus Christ. It means having our eyes open to how the world is influencing us in good ways and bad ways. Not mindlessly just letting the world and its message and advertising and Facebook and Instagram and news.com and abc.com, whatever their news thing is. I just click the links, I don't read them. Um, <clears throat> the links, that is. It's about our eyes open to what the message is that the world is feeding us that we might not conform to it. Having our eyes open to God's word and allowing it to shape us. 
to flip from eyes to ears, to do what Jesus says, to have ears to really hear, to have eyes that really see. Having our eyes open to seeing what finished looks like in terms of our deeds for him. To not just go, well, yeah, I kind of, I ticked a box and so, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm done. I, I, I did my share Jesus' love with someone for this, um, you know, 10-year period of my life. Tick, done. But having our eyes open to see what God wants us to do, to see what finished looks like in every single area. It's a little bit like, you know, this wouldn't be my children. I'm not telling a story about my children. But, you know, if you hypothetically asked a child to clean their room, they might come back to you and say, I'm done. But if they're awake and if their eyes are open, they might see things that are not yet put away, that are not yet finished. And so being awake as followers of Jesus is just like that. We might think, I'm done. I'm doing well. I'm alive in my faith. I'm loving the world like Jesus. But if we're awake and our eyes are open, we might see things that are not yet finished. I don't think this is about doing more and trying harder and just grinding ourselves to the bone because I think sometimes the reason they're unfinished is because we skip to the next thing and the next thing and we half-bake that and then we go on to the next thing and if our eyes are open to what God is calling us to do, we might stick with this thing until it's finished. We might stick with that person until what God has for us to do with that person is finished. Being awake looks like having our eyes open. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's why he was able to say on the cross, it's finished. Because his eyes were open, he was awake to what the Father was doing. And so he just did that. I think for myself too often I'm open, my eyes are open to what I think the world expects of me and I'm trying to tick all of those boxes and I'm half asleep to what God wants me to do. Being awake looks like having our eyes open. And it's the gospel that wakes us up to that. As in all these letters, Jesus gives a promise to the church. He says in verse 4 and 5, he says, Yet I have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And so Jesus is saying, this isn't everybody. There's always a, a remnant. There's always some bright sparks in any church. There's always that, that one or two people, even if the church is completely dead, even if everyone's half asleep, and there's always at least that one or two people. That, yes, praise Jesus, come on. There's always that one person that when you're sleeping in, you know, is awake and alive and energetic. But here's the beautiful thing. 
Jesus is saying to those that are dead, that are asleep, if they repent, if they wake up, if they come alive to the gospel, if they come alive with watchfulness, if they wake up to the imminent return of Jesus, he says, you will be like those people who haven't soiled their clothes, who will walk with me in white. You'll be like those people and and I'll write your name in the book of life. It will never be blotted out and I'll acknowledge your name before the Father. The thing is, when we repent, it's not like we go back to the bottom of the pile. It's not like we become second-class citizens in heaven. Jesus is saying, when you repent, when you wake up, when you come back to me fully, you will be just like those people. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. What does it mean to walk in robes of white? I kind of, I don't know about you, but the only image I get with that is like a bathrobe, um, a white bathrobe, which might be appropriate if you've just woken up in the morning. You might get your white bathrobe on, but, but in biblical understanding, it's symbolic of holiness, of purity. That those who repent and who turn to Jesus with their whole heart that they return to him, he will make them holy and pure. They may have soiled their clothes, but if they repent and return to Jesus, they'll walk in robes of white. It reminds me of what it says in Isaiah, where Jesus says, let us reason this out. Though your sins are as scarlet, I can make you as white as snow. And so this robe of white is an image of holiness, but it's an image of something more. Jesus says, you will walk with me in robes of white. And so this is symbolic, this walking with the Lord, pardon me, in robes of white is symbolic of of the Roman triumphal procession. That that as as a general in the Roman Empire was marching back into Rome triumphant and being celebrated, there would be those who would get to wear robes of white and celebrate and walk along with Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, you'll get to be part of my triumphal procession. He's saying, I'll acknowledge your name before the Father in heaven and his angels. You see, Sardis was a town with a false sense of significance. The church in Sardis seems to have been a church with a false sense of significance, of life, of being alive. And, and Jesus is saying, if you, if you find your significance in me, I'll acknowledge you before the Father, the creator of the entire universe. I will take you before the throne of God and say, this is Aaron. I'll take you before the throne of God and say, this is Tony. I'd like you to meet her. There is no more real significance that could be imagined in all of eternity than God the Son introducing you to God the Father as he holds the sevenfold spirit with him. There is no more significant place you could be. There's no more significant honor we could be given. And so Jesus is saying, wake up. Come alive. Let go of clinging to your false significance in this world. Let go of comfort, of cruising. And the beautiful thing is, he says, I'll write your name in the book of life. To the church he calls dead. He says, if you come back to me, if you repent, if you return to me with your whole heart, 
I will write your name in the book of life. And no one will ever be able to blot it out. Because he came to give life to the full for eternity. And so this is an invitation for us to wake up, to hear the alarm, and to trust in him, to hope in him. And so Jesus says in verse 6, this kind of refrain that's in every letter. Um, and the downside of that is we, we might begin to tune our ears out to it. You know, there's a point that repetition makes us hear something and then we kind of start to lose it. He says in verse 6, that the end of this letter to the church inside us, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so my question this morning for us gathered here, for those who are connected this morning online, for those who may connect with this message later on, is can you hear the alarm? Can you hear the beeping? Can you hear the Father shaking you gently or vigorously? It's time to wake up. Can you hear? Can you hear the desperation in Jesus' voice. When he says, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Can you hear it? I say this often, but I think maybe it's just me that has this failing, but I often think, oh, if only so-and-so was hearing this. I have to be reminded that I'm here because God wants me to hear this. Don't wait for someone else to hit snooze. Don't hit snooze. The alarm is for you and for me to wake up, to repent, to cling to and remember the good news. And to live with eyes open to his coming. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd make this message real for us this morning. We're not the church of Sardis. We're not built upon a cliff. But I believe deeply this message is for us. Let us not as a church think, yeah, we're doing pretty good. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not cruise. But let us wake up. Let us as a church hear the alarm and hear the alarm in Jesus' voice. 
I pray that your spirit would stir within us. To do whatever it takes to wake us up. If we need the gentle warmth of God's love on our face, then I pray that that would be it. If we need to hear the bleating of an alarm to wake us up, then may it be so. If we need a tap on the shoulder, then tap us on the shoulder. Holy Spirit, come and do whatever it takes to wake me up, to wake your church up, for us to be eyes open and alive. In the name of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars in his hands. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.